Welcome to the Hillside Community Church Podcast. Wherever you're at in your faith, we hope this episode encourages you. If you enjoy the listen, let your friends know, and we'll catch you next time. Well, good morning. Great morning. Uh, yeah, it's been a great morning. Um, I want to say something to you. I was thinking about Hillfest and our conversation about salt and light over the last uh, few weeks. And I just want to say, you know, um, it's, probably not a, it's probably not a morning I don't drive in here and not think about who might show up today and who might be in here. And, of course, when you're on the campus and you look around, you just figure, wow, look at all the people that could potentially walk here. And you go, wow, it would be great if, if, if they came in. Well, on Hillfest, on October 31st, Halloween night, they're going to do that. They're going to come over here because we'll be set up for them, and we've done it for years, and they know when they get here it's going to be really safe and good for their kids. This is one of those moments when we get to be those city lights. The lights are on, and if you guys want to come here, you come. And on a night like that, they'll come because of their children. And so I realize that some of you have other plans and you got things to do on the 31st, so this isn't to make anybody feel bad. All I want you to know is if you could be here with a trunk, and you may be one of those people, if you're like me, you know, I'm Halloween give or take it. Uh, decorating a trunk, totally out. I'm totally out on decorating a trunk. Somebody else is going to have to do it. I'll have my car here if somebody wants to decorate the trunk. Some of you are really good at it. I don't even want to, I don't want to give two seconds of thought to what could go into that trunk. But there's probably a few of us like that that would go, you know, I'd pull in here if you didn't have to decorate a trunk. Maybe some of you could do that for those of us who who could be, who will be here, but don't want to decorate a trunk. All I'm saying is, is donate candy, decorate a trunk, have your trunk here, be here, because we're the city lights. And when they get here, we want to make sure that it's great for them. So all I'm asking you to do is think about it in those terms, not in terms of Halloween. Not in terms of Halloween. And if you do that, I think we could have one of the best Hillfest nights ever. So, that's just my charge to you. That's the reason it will matter to me. That's the reason I will be here. Maybe with just a trunk. Not a decorated trunk. Just a trunk. I don't know. Anyway. Uh, So, we are looking at the Sermon on the Mount. And we've actually come to a pretty critical moment in the body of uh, the sermon itself, the message itself. Uh, Critical because in order to understand the message, this important, profound message uh, that Jesus has invited us into, we have to understand the expectation of what it means to come under his rule. And he showed us last week that he is the culmination of the Old Testament and the law and That makes him now the ultimate guide for what it means to live the good life 
and to be a good person, which we're all desperate to know. We're all desperate to understand what the good life is and what it means to be a good person. Now, in order to do that, Jesus is going to say, you have to go beyond the standard. You have to go beyond what you think it is. You actually have to go beyond what you think maybe the best person you've ever known is. Beyond the external requirement of the law. So last week we sort of messed with this a little bit. Let me pull this over just a I'm not OCD, but I need it in the center. <laughs> okay? All right, so remember, we looked at this last week. The external reality of the law says, just don't do these things, these kinds of things. And it would be real easy to do our best just not to do those things. But even if you could do those things, you wouldn't necessarily be a good person in what Jesus is saying. Uh, Because we said last week that Jesus is focused on the inside of a person and transforming, transforming the inside of a person. Remember what this says. He says later in Matthew chapter 15, what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. Out of the heart come evil thoughts, Murder, adultery, sexual morality, theft, false witness, slander, it all comes from here. This is the spot right here. So this is Jesus' focus. There's a lot of damage, we've said, that you can do before you ever get to crossing the line of any of those three. There's a lot of damage we can do. Uh, So Jesus is essentially saying we're going deeper. We We haven't raised the standard We haven't raised the standard. We're driving the standard deeper into the heart. Incredible implications for how you perceive the Christian life and how you go about trying to live it. So, to be a good good person, something's going to have to change in here. And to live a good life, we said... You're going to have to value people at a level that's far greater than not killing them, sleeping around, or getting divorced. you got to treat people a lot better than that to be living the good life. So what Jesus essentially does is he drives home that the issue is deeper if you're going to be a good person but he also really raises the value of people. And Jesus is essentially saying, I can offer this. I not only can offer it, I can deliver it. If you come under the kingdom, if you come to live in the kingdom, we will do work here and you will come to value people more. Now he's going to give a series of examples of what he means by this. We're going, to, we're going to go through them. The first example that he's going to show is what it looks like. What does it look like to, to live like this? And how do you do it? 
And the first example is anger. It's anger. And it is first on purpose. There is a reason it is first. It's first because it has to be first. It gets right to the essence of the human heart and of being in relationship with people and your value of people. Work that out, and you've worked out a whole host of other evils if you work that out. Because it's at the core. And for that reason, it's the place to begin. So just think about this for a second. Here's a spiritual thought for you. You can live on it for the rest of the week for sure. The first thing to consider if I'm going to be a kingdom person and I want to be a good person and live a good life, how am I dealing with anger? How am I dealing with it? So here, Jesus now is going to begin to explain to us what he is, what he's talking about by driving this deeper. You've heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. That's the law as we know it. That's the laws that's been said. That's the laws that's been heard for a long time. You murder someone, you get the death penalty. That's what the judgment is. That's the Old Testament principle and rule. We kind of get this one. Jesus is essentially saying that since the beginning, it's been pretty clear and it's been a good rule. I mean, it made it into the top ten, this one. Aren't you glad? This is a good one to be in the top ten. I'm going to give the whole Old Testament, Moses, God, the whole thing. This was a good one. It's good. And, and just as certain as it's good and it's wrong to do it, you're going to be judged for it. There's a judgment for it. Now, this is this is like seven different words, Hebrew words for, for killing someone. This is this is murder. We're talking about murder. We're not talking about killing in every circumstance of life. We're just talking about murder. Now, let's think about it for a minute because these first two verses we're going to look at. There's five, I think, in the whole text. We can only handle two today because we got to get our arms around these first two. Uh, and I don't want you to miss the game. I don't want you to miss the game, but you would if I handle all five verses. So, let's go back. This is just what I did. All I did after I read that verse is a few things that I just want to do with you out loud, okay? So, I went back to Genesis, and you go to Genesis 4, and you think to yourself, okay, Cain is angry, and he kills his brother Abel. And it is the first evil we, we see outside the garden. 
It's incredible that that's the first thing that happens. At least that's the one that's recorded. That's the one that sort of stands as the look how bad it got as soon as we got out of the garden. Murder. And that sort of becomes the pinnacle, and everything just goes south from there. It's the essence of what anger can do, and it's the anger of what happens when you devalue people. And that's really the essence of sin, and from Genesis on, it just gets worse. And by the time you get to chapter 6, God literally says in verse 11 of Genesis 6, the violence has so filled the earth, I can't deal with it anymore. It's like the, it was like the, you just took the lid off, and everything just went south. And then after the flood, when God punishes the entire world for it, you get to start over again with Noah and just his family. And God literally starts over and says things that you'll remember. He says, Starts out in Genesis 1, Genesis 9, 1 to 3. This is right after the water subsides and Moses comes out and says, we're going to start over. Be fruitful and multiply. Let me tell you to do what I told you to do in the beginning. Be fruitful and multiply, he says. Then he gets to this. Here's Genesis 9. From his fellow man, I will require a reckoning for the life of a man, for the life of man. This word right here is brother. What do you think that's referring back to? Cain and Abel. So Jesus, so Moses going right back, this is, this is the whole thing. I want to take you right back to that first sin. We're starting over again. We're not treating people that way. We're not killing people. And then he goes, whoever sheds the blood. This is the the one he deals with. With all the sin that had occurred occurred between Genesis 4 and Genesis 9 that, that brought a flood, this is the one he goes back to immediately. Why? Because he said in verses 1 to 3, I want you to be fruitful and multiply. I don't know if you realize it, but this is addition in math. That's addition in math. This would be subtraction in math. For those of you who are not math people. Okay? It goes against the very thing I created you to do. In other words, your design and your purpose. This destroys. But it does more than that. It doesn't just des- destroy design and purpose. God made man in his own image. Which essentially all that's saying right here is he's just too valuable to me. He's mine. He's got my mark all over him. You cannot do that to him. People matter more than you can imagine to God. And it goes against what I created you for. Not only your design and purpose, but your very nature and your very identity. Making murder almost the most dehumanizing act. And the ultimate insult to God. 
an act of rebellion against him. John Calvin said this, God deems himself violated in the violation of these persons. So God unashamedly attaches himself to every human being, thus making every human being ultimately valuable. That's why this made it into the top ten. Now, you might say, well, I'm so glad that I haven't killed anyone. Like, if you haven't, okay, you're like, I'm good. Where are we going for lunch? You just feel like you're okay. I get it. Yeah. But then, our guide to kingdom living, to what it means to be a good person and live a good life, says this. But I say to you, Everyone who is angry, and he's going to replace murder with angry, anger. He's angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Same language as murder. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. This is a Sanhedrin. This would have been the, the, the rule of the day, the court of the day. And whoever says, you fool, you will be liable to to the hell of fire. Now, this is what it means to go deeper. This is what it means to go deeper. And as soon as Jesus crosses, as soon as Jesus... As soon as Jesus crosses this line, now we're all on the hook. And that's why he kind of shifts. There's a little shift. I'm not going to go into it right now, but he shifts this to everyone. Because not everyone has murdered somebody, but everyone has done this one. So now we're all on the hook and the whole attitude changes. (laughs) Buckle up. Buckle up. Anger is murder. So he equates these two. By effect, anger anger and murder, and by the punishment, it's the same. Human and divine. You're liable to, I mean, there's three kinds of judgment in here. There's something going on, and then there's this ultimate. And we're going to have to, at some point, we're going to deal with hell here. Because in, in, and the only time Jesus brings up hell in this sermon, and I went through it, is, is in murder and adultery. Hell comes up. It's going to have to be addressed. Can't do it now. But somewhere in here, we're going to have to stop and deal with it. Okay? But here's essentially what Jesus is saying. Here's the two thoughts that I want to give you right now. There is no murder without anger. All agreed? There's no murder without anger. But Jesus is also saying anger kills in lots of ways. Anger does a lot of killing before it 
it actually takes somebody's life. It is deadly. So, he's basically saying, I think, three things that are really important here. We just got to see in these two verses. First, there's a harsh judgment for it. Really harsh. Second, this is, this is really important. Because there's, there's, there's lots of categories to put anger in. And Jesus' main focus is how it handles, how it deals with relationships. So there's, there's not just the fact that we have harsh punishment here. There's a, there's a, there's a really high level component of, of relational and interpersonal dynamics that's really important to Jesus. We've already seen that we, our, our brothers bear the image of God. So there is a, a, an interpersonal relational concern we have to get to. But then there's the essential nature of the fact that the worth of a person, the worth of a person is what Jesus is saying. So if you can take your mind off the details for just a second and figure out, well, there's a lot of things in here to really get our arms around. Yes, there are. But the essential nature of this is people are, are worth far more than just not killing them. They are, they are so valuable, you can do a lot more damage to them that offends God before you ever kill them. And Jesus is just as serious about that as anything else. So you got to get there. Now let's talk about anger for a minute. Let's talk about what Jesus is saying in these, in these two verses. What, what do we have to deal with here? First thing I want to say about anger, and I want us, the reason I, I said we're going to divide this into two is because as I was going through it, I started to find myself wrestling with anger in a way I hadn't wrestled with anger before. Even though I've been through this before, I mean, the Sermon on the Mount has been especially helpful in managing my own anger. Uh, I've seen it help others. I, I love what it says. But there was just something else happening. I thought, I don't know if we have the, I don't know if we feel the same way that Jesus does about anger. Like, just stop for a second and go, do you feel that way about anger? Your anger. Not someone else's anger. Yours. I don't know, I don't know that I could say I felt that way about it. And that causes me pause. So I started to reflect on that and think about it. Here's some thoughts. Uh, of course, anger is a very spontaneous emotion, very, very natural kind of emotion, and in some respects, important for living. It's, not, it's kind of like the function of pain to some degree. Pain signals something's wrong. If you can't feel pain, that can cause a lot of problems for you. Uh, so in that sense... Anger is kind of like a signal. Uh, something's wrong. Something, something hurts. Uh, so it's, it's an alarm. It's kind of like a, a, an alarm system. You've been wronged. You've been violated. You've been crossed. Something's amiss. Uh, so in that sense, it's very, very natural. But here's what we have to get to the bottom of, and I don't know that we all agree on this. So I know what I'm going to say to you over the next few minutes. You'll have to ponder 
and you might push back. But here's what I want everyone to hear by the time I'm done. It is not a safe emotion. Yes, it is natural. It arises. Sometimes it's useful in life. It is not a safe emotion. It cannot and must not be relied upon as a guide for any action. I don't care what you're doing. It cannot be what guides your actions. And because of that, its presence, the moment we feel it, another alarm should go off. A louder alarm. That should say, oh my goodness, anything evil could happen right now. When it shows up, just its appearance is deadly. I'm going to give you two ways you know that. One is if you were to Google anger, this is, let me tell you what comes up. Article after article after article after article after article on the deadly effects of anger on the person who feels it. Deadly in categories. I, I mean, I was thinking about giving you all the side effects of anger. It's unbelievable physically what it does to you. It's killing you. In fact, almost all the articles have the word kill in it, anger kills. It's killing you. That's what all, the arg- uh, all of the articles were suggesting, how it's killing us who, who feel it. So number one, it's killing you. It's deadly even if it appears because it should appear in a moment It's still killing you. Second thing. Just knowing someone is angry with you is painful. Has negative effects on us. If you find out someone's mad at you. It affects you. It causes stress. Just thinking someone's upset at you or mad at you. And it can also evoke anger in you before you ever even encounter a person who's mad at you. You just heard him mad at you, and so you're mad. Anger is deadly. And an angry person is scary. If you grew up with an angry person, I grew up with angry people in my life. My, that was the predominant, the predominant emotion that destroyed my childhood was anger. Probably yours. Puts people on edge. It jeopardizes life and peace and harmony and safety. Now, you got to believe that first. Before you'll ever get to saying, is Jesus really justified in bringing up hell when he talks about anger? So when it appears, and it, can, it appears naturally, it appears sometimes for good reason, 
it appears. But it does no good. It may appear for a good reason, but it does no good. Now, a couple things about anger. When it does appear, if you have no way of managing that thing, it will very often settle in you. It can settle in you. And it can create this inner smoldering sort of burning heat. It produces hate and bitterness and resentment in this state. And it's toxic. It alters you. And of course then leads to deadly interactions with people and deadly evaluations of people. That's why it does damage. And so Jesus says, if you say to somebody, raka, which is just an Aramaic term, best we can understand what Jesus is saying is it just means somebody is a zero. It insinuates empty, nothing. You're a nothing. Uh, so that's the idea. And by the way, raka and fool were common terms. They're everyday language, which is an important thought. Because you don't, you don't get to say, well, let me get to that in a second. You don't get to say, well, I've never said raka. Okay? I don't even know Aramaic. Okay? You don't get to say that. Okay? You say, I've said rock on, I've said rock on, and I've said raccoon, but I've never said raka. <laughs> Jesus is using everyday hurtful language. And by the way, we have a whole host of demeaning terms that we use for people. I have put a list together of every, no, I didn't. No, I didn't. <laughs> you were like, oh, good. No, I didn't. Because they're horrible. And I wonder how many times they come to your mind it's when you're driving. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Guilty. Anywhere from idiot, because idiot would be a good sort of baseline, to a whole host of other very, very, I have to say, creative ways. We have learned to demean people with words. That's all Jesus is saying. Jesus isn't trying to say, well, don't say fool to people and don't say rocket to people. If you, if you don't miss that, listen, you just put in the words you use to mean raka. And the reason is, essentially, it dev- even if the people in the other car don't hear you say it, You've dehumanized. You've devalued. You've made them zeros. That's the thing. In essence, you almost, if you can get your arms around this, you deny their existence and their worth. Diminish. 
the most precious thing, the most important thing when you're driving, I'm just going to use driving, is not your time. On the road, the most important thing is the other human being in the car. It's not the car, it's not the road, it's not the place you're going, it's not why you're going there, it's not what you're gonna do when you get there. Nothing to God is more valuable than the other human being in the car at any given moment. I'm not sure we even all believe that. Most of us are going, well, I think you're right about that. I think when I think about that, the human in the car is more important than any car on the road. That escapes us. And it's evident by what we say. I never called the car the idiot. So you must value the car. So it causes damage, especially if somebody hears it. Uh, your anger may never turn violent, but as one writer said, and I thought this was just such a great notion, and if you've been around angry people, you probably have felt it before. It mutilates the souls, and it would make murder a mercy. There are some situations where you'd rather be killed than to continue to receive the barrage of anger from somebody. It's almost identity theft before there was identity theft. Have you ever had your identity stolen? It's very common. It's likely to have happened to a lot of people in this room. Probably will happen to all of us multiple times. It's a horrible feeling. And you don't even, we don't even always realize it, but you, hey, that's me. Oh, no, it isn't. <laughs> that's what identity theft does. Do I exist? Does anybody know it? This is identity theft. And almost all of us have been the victim of someone's anger. It's very hard to live very long. It's very hard to live very long. I don't care how long you've lived. Right? Even secondhand anger. I wasn't even the object of the anger, but I still had the side effects of the anger that was done. Families, communities, teams, destroyed by it. So Willard writes this anger embraced is accordingly inherently disintegrative of human personality and life. It does not have to be specifically acted out to poison the world. Because of what it is and the way it seizes upon the body and its environment, just being there, it cannot be hidden. And then he writes this when you're angry. All our mental and emotional resources are marshaled to nurture and tend the anger, and our body throbs with it. Energy is dedicated to keeping the anger alive. We constantly remind ourselves of how wrongly we've been treated. And when it is allowed to govern our actions, of course, its evil is quickly multiplied in heart-rendering 
consequences, heart-rending consequences, in the replication of anger and rage in the hearts and bodies of everyone it touches. In the kingdom heart, let me say this. Let me just say this. this is, in the kingdom heart, it should appear less. Forget how we deal with it when it arises. It should appear less. It most certainly cannot drive our attitudes, words, or actions. Now, for some people, it characterizes our lives. It's dictated our lives for a long time. We're used to it. You might be addicted to it because it's a rush. You feel alive. You feel powerful. Some people, it's become an art. We have phrases like, I don't get mad, I get even. We have adopted, we have, a, a, we have adopted a way of using anger. And so, I, I want us to come to some conclusions on some things, and, and I'll do that for us right now. So this is what I think, in light of all that, what we need to see, in light of what Jesus has said here. Uh, first of all, first thing I would say is Colossians 3.8, Jesus, I think Paul is saying, lay aside anger. Just lay it aside. In light of this, we go, uh, we can't even, we shouldn't even have a positive view of it. Let's just lay it aside. Definitely don't embrace it or indulge it. And then, of course, James 1.20, I think is the ultimate statement about where he says, man's anger does not produce anything good. I mean, if this is the good life, anger's not helping us get to it. Now, let me say something about something else that I think is important, that I think feeds out of this and might reinforce what I'm saying to you. Uh, in our culture, in our climate right now, there's a, there's a whole lot of anger. Uh, and so I want to say something to you about righteous anger that Christians use a lot. And I try to grasp this in light of what Jesus is saying. If it does not produce the righteousness of God, I think we have to be really careful calling anger righteous. So when, I, when we bring up the term righteous anger, we determine that by what we're mad at. Jesus is not determining his words about anger on what you're mad at. He's determining whether or not anger is righteous based on how you act when you are angry. It's the actions that determine whether it's righteous or not, not why. There's lots of good reasons to be mad about something. I am still, even if anger does arise, responsible to deal with whatever it is 
to right whatever wrong it is in a way that anger cannot produce. So anger is never the thing. And this is why we would say anger is not in and of itself righteous, and it does not produce righteousness. So you have something like Ephesians 4 where, where Paul says, be angry, but don't sin. I want you to think about that for a second. So anger naturally arises out of the heart. We'll just use a big A for that. It, it, it arises in the heart. And immediately, immediately, um, there's supposed to be a line where that you, you, you can't sin. But that's all anger produces, though. All anger produces is sin. If you're going to do something righteous, you're going to have to default to some other thing to make you act Cross this line of actions and feelings and attitudes, you're going to have to do something completely different than out of anger. Out of anger comes nothing good. Even if you were angry, for a good reason. That's essentially what I'm saying. On this line, according to Jesus, anger ends up in what? To act out of anger is to act toward that. It will only produce things that kill. Anger is not the best tool to deal with anything. It only leads to sin. Immediately, that's what it leads to. And it will want to make you move. Uh, here's John's message. You've heard from the beginning that we should love one another. Here's his. We should, be, we should not be like Cain. We're going to be like Cain? How do you be like Cain? You've got to murder somebody to be like who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Everyone who hates is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life in him. Something has to come out. A, a something has to be produced. We've got to be able to default to something when anger comes because it does not produce anything good. Uh, so years ago when I was in, uh, before I just give you my final thoughts, I was, uh, this was about 30 years ago. I think I was still a youth pastor at the time, actually. So that would have been uh, at least 30, about 30 years ago. I was living in Bedford at the time. And uh, had just uh, central in Harwood. It was a world's gym there, and I had just finished working out and was heading home. And I noticed that one of my tires was low, and so I got to the light at Harwood and Central, and I was going to make a left and then immediate right into an Exxon that was there to put air in my tires. In front of me, in the turn lane, was a red Corvette. The light turned green. We sat there for a few minutes. He wasn't paying attention. 
And so I did what you typically do. You go like this. Well, he, he saw me in the rearview mirror go like this, and that, that was enough. So he finally does take off, turns the corner, and motions outside the car to pull into the Exxon where I was already going. So he pulls in and goes to a gas pump. I pull in and go to where you get air in your tires. So we're apart from each other. I would say 30 yards, 40 yards. I get out of the car, and I'm not mad enough for a fight. I was just wanting you to go. He gets out of the car, and apparently he might have been working out there too because he was in workout clothes and three times my size. <laughs> like one of these <laughs> muscle heads. <laughs> I was like, my luck. <laughs> so I'm trying to ignore the situation, okay? Act like I got to get tire in this, air in this tire. See, out of the corner of my eye, as soon as he gets out of his car, he walks directly toward me. He's moving right toward me. Leaves the gas pump and he's heading toward me. And I'm thinking to myself, oh, Mike, do I just jump in the car and run right now and just, just say and just never tell this story to anyone? He gets all the way over to me and I don't know what's going to happen. I mean, it was as intense a moment as, I've, as you can have. And so I, 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 I look at him, I, I face him, and this big man, big man, wraps his arms around me like this and whispers in my ear, there's enough hate in the world. And gently lets me go and walks away. I started to weep. I did. I wanted him to hold me longer, I'll admit it. <laughs> it was so utterly, I think about that day and what could have happened that day. And I think of what, uh, and he, he was operating out of something other than hate and anger. That's what it takes to do that. Any kind of anger he would have had would have produced something at least verbally abusive. Something else had to be driving him. I've always believed that the man didn't really exist. He was just a bodybuilding angel that God sent to heaven, that down to earth, to hug me because I needed a hug that day. This is something else. Dallas Willard said, and I love it, and I hope it becomes something that gets into your head because I think it is exactly what Jesus is saying. There is nothing that can be done with anger that cannot be done without it. And when you consider that some of the social and cultural things we're fighting about right now, some of them may be worth fighting for, but they're not worth fighting for with anger. Not with anger, because anger does not produce the righteousness of God. So, 
The application just for today, before we look at what Jesus is telling us to do alternatively from anger, which will be next week, all I want to say to you today is just think about these couple things. Number one, ask yourself, have I, do I share Jesus' assessment of anger? Do I believe like he believes about anger? Secondly, have I tolerated it in my life? Justified it? Rationalized it? Ignored it? Have I come to rely on it? And you know what I realized? Is that sometimes we don't know what has happened deep inside of us and the way we are and why we are feeling the way we feel sometimes. It's bec- we don't know that it's anger. Because anger can take so many different toxic forms. And you wouldn't call it anger. You'd be kind of maybe scared to say it was anger. That may be too hard a term. It's become some color of something else in your life that, that resembles bitter and hate and resentment and something else toward someone or people. And you don't want to call it anger because that sounds evil and what you're feeling feels right to you. This is where it's scary. It's possible that anger becomes a kind of a feeling that you feel justified in having and you don't call it anger because that sounds bad and it feels too good and right to you to feel. This is where the battlefield is. And just so you know, it's fueled primarily by self-righteousness. And that's a hard thing to hear. And it means, it means that you might not be able to talk yourself into the right way to be or, or to be healed. You might have to talk to someone about it. And all Jesus is saying so far, right now, what he's about to do, he's going to say, there's another way. There's another way. There's a better way. So hang on. Deal with that next week. But for right now, I would just say this. It's very possible that anger has devastated your life. In some shape and form of it. Your anger? Or someone's anger to you? It's likely both. And all Jesus is saying in this sermon, if you can't imagine a better way to do life than to use anger, or even the possibility of being healed by anger done to you, Jesus is saying, that's not correct. Give me a chance. Give me a chance. And my, my, 
my exhortation to you and to me. is to agree with Jesus about anger and then decide this cannot be the way I do life anymore. And if you have not dealt with your anger, just as a reminder, it's the very first kingdom principle, which means we all, all of us, have work to do after today. Is anyone in here? I'd love to know this person. Would say, I have no work to do after that. Can't wait till you get to the adultery one. <laughs> When's the adultery one coming up? Can't wait to be here for that one. Oh, Lord. No, we all have work to do. So bow your heads, take 30 seconds, and we'll be, just say, God, I I, I, I may just need to say, I'm, I just need to start out with, I'm just really sorry. Lord, we want to live a good life and we want to be a good person. We want to value people and we don't want to hurt people. But for some of us, Lord, in here, anger has become some, some way become a part of us in a way that we don't always view it the way you view it. And we need to be forgiven for that. We also need a new vision, a new heart, and a new hope for how to relate to people and how to do life out of something other than anger. Lord, I believe with all my heart, you're the only one who can do that. So we turn to you today. No more excuses for our anger turn to you. In Jesus' name, amen.